Hello everyone, my name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And this is the Carton Cast, where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. Um, and today we have a very special bootlegged segment. Yes, we are looking at a movie, uh, an animated movie? <laughs> Asterisk. <laughs> Underline yes. <laughs> three times TM. It's it's a uh, it's sort of a shadow place in our. Let me try that again. It's sort of a <laughs> shadow realm. You remember Yu-Gi-Oh? This whole thing happened uh, where uh, Bob, <laughs> where, where where Bob Hoskins <laughs> went to Duelist Island. <laughs> that's that's sort of what happened in the Mario Brothers movie. It's actually very similar to what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, Bob Hoskins is sort of uh, your classic interdimensional spirit. Yeah, he's no, he's like so, uh he's like Quantum Leap. Yeah. And the movie that he's Quantum Leaping in today on this the Carton cast where we totally know what we're doing <laughs> after 100 episodes. Yep. Um is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, spoilers. Uh somebody framed Roger Rabbit. Other spoilers. It there was a bad guy named Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Final spoiler. He was a rabbit. Bob Hoskins yeah. is involved. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys basically got it. I think we can wrap up shop. <laughs> okay, and next time we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, so uh, we've been talking about doing this for a long time. Well, you have. I sort of... I've always been of the opinion that this was such a classic and such a, a unique animistic uh, choice. <laughs> animistic is probably not what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> anima, anim, it related to animism, the totem spirit that is Roger Rabbit, and those stupid red pants that, that are—that is his sigil. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I always thought that this might be just just above our grasp, but we're gonna try and do it justice today. This is um, sort of the ur example of animation drawn onto live action. Yeah, and, and they try to do this every so often. Um, it generally doesn't work as well as this does. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, th- what comes to mind is Osmosis Jones. Yep, Ralph, um, Ralph Bakshi did a couple of these. Yep, uh, but uh, generally not done as well as this, and this is sort of a pioneer and uh, a benchmark in the animation medium where it's like the kind of the first time they, they sort of did it right, or at least right enough that it wasn't jarring, I suppose would be a better way to say it. The the mark of quality here is that there are times that you forget that these are not real objects in the universe. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think that the mark of quality, like that is a mark of quality here, but I think that the most important thing about this movie, what it really did, is that it is a brilliant noir parody, and it sets up this really effective contrast as, you know, through viewed through the lens of cartoondom. <laughs> So yes, the animation style is very um, is very novel, and it brings a lot of like credit where credit is due. It's like the best execution of real life meets cartoon that probably has ever existed. <laughs> but that's probably not true. But like, <laughs> certainly the most famous example that's ever existed. It's done more to push the medium forward. Uh, yeah, like you respect it as an art form for for that, but it's also just a very good movie in itself. And it's those also are the two a brilliant movie. Things that we're going to comment on. Yeah, and, and I, I a little bit of background. Uh, when I was in undergrad, I actually took a film noir course, a lot of which I don't remember, but I watched a lot of, you know, Blue Velvet and G-Men and... Uh, so that's Maltese, where all your references come Maltese from. Maltese Falcon and things like that. Yeah, that. That's one place where my references come from. <laughs> 
but yeah, I actually have a, a pretty broad knowledge base for this. I forget a lot of the details, but you know, I've going through this movie, I'm like, this is spot on. They know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for the most part. <laughs> but we'll, yeah, we'll they they hold on to the classic uh, tone and the uh, you know the major plot beaks. Cl- plot, hmm? the major yeah, plot, beats plot beats of a of a classic noir and then with this um animated thing on top of it that sort of uh shows that it can be done and also it's a nice little gimmick it's, i love my gimmick it's the anvil to the hammer that is this noir parody like one does one doesn't really make sense without the other like you can parody noir in the same way that like naked gun parodies like action movies or whatever yeah um, you need that background you you need had to have seen something like that before. Well, the having the cartoon be the setting for this, having Toontown exist alongside this, gives us a really effective contrast to kind of keep beating this noir film against until all of the laughs fall out of it. Yeah. And... What the hell? How's, how's it going? Some shit went down in my phone. <laughs> what was that? You like downloaded the consciousness of the internet. <laughs> it just randomly started playing podcasts. <laughs> cool. From my pocket while on the calculator setting. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna cut that. We're gonna get some Skynet in there. Um But yeah, so so that's sort of some of the knowledge base I'm bringing to the table. I don't know uh, if any of that resonates with you. Uh, no, it definitely does. I I think one of the reasons that it works is just because they were able to put everything into it. Like this was, this wasn't just some gimmick thing they threw together. They had a very, they had a source material, right? This came from a lot a of book. source material. Yeah, they had. So, so this movie came out in 1988. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis at the height of his popularity, and it was produced by Touchstone Pictures and Amblin Entertainment. So, like, huge backing. Um, there's a, there's plenty of WB and Disney references in this. So, like, this had the support of everyone. Everyone wanted this to do super well. I, I didn't look up how much Disney got paid for all of the cameos. You don't think they paid? I, I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how money works in that situation. I don't know, I don't know how money works in general. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> well, because, like, product placement... Yeah, may- maybe you're right, uh, but no, it's it's less than product placement. It's like using the like it's using creative likenesses of someone else, you mm-hmm. know. So like you you want to you know have E.T. eating uh, eating Reese's pieces in your movie, Reese's pieces is gonna pay him. But to have Bugs Bunny in your movie, I feel I it feels weird to say it, but it almost feels like they have to call up Bugs Bunny and get him to come in. Like this yeah. is what this movie does to you is like you start to think that these cartoon characters are real people and you treat them like real people. Yeah, so this is... that. That's another one of the weird things. Like, it's one thing, okay, yeah, there's all these classic cartoons that are showing up. They're not generic. These are the name brand stars. Um, but that's this movie so was based on... Was based was based on a novel who censored Rob, Roger Rabbit written in uh, written by Gary Wolf in 1981. And I don't think... You know, it, it probably didn't have those characters in it then, you know, Bugs Bunny showing up. I I think Roger Rabbit is supposed to be based on Bug Bunny, so it's really weird when he shows up. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I, you I'm, know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Uh, I am like kind of looking through the Wikipedia summary, and apparently it, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the first time that Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny have ever appeared on screen together, which is cool. Yeah, they, they had that feud over that name. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if memory serves. No, I think. No, I I don't know. They were just doing some some Groucho Marx routine or something. It was pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, by which I mean great, because this, this movie is delightful. I don't think we've mentioned whether or not it's like enjoyable yet. It it, it is. <laughs> I like it a lot. <laughs> it, we we watched a good film, huh? <laughs> Audience, <laughs> that's what happened. Yep. Honestly, I I'm I'm fine with not going too much into generalities because there is a lot that happens in the plot and a lot. Be- because this is such unique. There's a lot of specific of, examples you need to draw from. This is such a unique product that I think that more than other thing, more than other movies, we can sort of let it speak for itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe it's just better to move on to the characters that are in this. <laughs> ben, the right thing to do to let it speak for itself would be to just tell people to watch it and not do it. They're not going to the podcast. <laughs> well, the, presumably they have already done it, which is, you know, another point of credence to why we should get on with it. So let's uh, <laughs> let's start talking about the characters. First up, we've got Eddie Valiant, Bob Hoskins. The Eddie Valiant? Before the he, Titan uh... of Toontown? The King of Crash? The Sultan of Swat? <laughs> the, Sultan, the Mother the of Sultan Dragons? Of SWAT? <laughs> Breaker of Chains? <laughs> First of her name? <laughs> Fist of the North Star. Fist of the North Star. The Dragon of Metal. Yeah. Um, Bob, Bob Hoskins. This is before he swore off of cinema. Yeah. Uh, with the Mario Brothers movie, yeah, which that was, just broke his spirit. I mean, it broke a lot of people's spirits, but yeah, he was definitely the, you know, it was, you know, kill the messenger, right? Yeah. And this is your classic, you know, hard drinking, um, you know, no nonsense detective. The I actually have a, uh, I actually have a analysis for Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a parody of noir up, and it describes Eddie Valiant as... Um, he's basically every noir protagonist archetype rolled into a ball and spat into a fedora. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he pretty, definitely, pretty funny. He's, he's definitely chewed up a few times. All of that nonsense that we sometimes do with noir setting about that dame walked into my office with damn legs up to heaven. He is that character. That's the guy. He's a PI. He's down on his luck. He's got a drinking problem. He's well-respected, but doesn't play by the rules kind of detective. And, uh, he's got a huge yeah. chip on his shoulder. His performance can seem like a little flat sometimes. Like, but that's the point. You you need to recognize he's interacting with nothing before that became a common movie thing. Um, I mean, so even so, like he he he's kind of just what the movie needed because he provided that serious grounding and he could like you know play the straight man as all this wackiness goes on around him. Yep, and, and I think he is pretty much the main character. Like, I know it's about yeah. Roger Rabbit, but even grading on this generous curve. He is still, Roger Rabbit's still a cartoon character. This is an actual person. He's he's a little bit more complex. (laughs) And we're going to grade on some serious curves later. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Very, very generous curves. (laughs) I I should say so. Um, Non-Euclidean almost in in stature. (laughs) We're talking, of course, about the voluptuous Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Well, Um, I'm not done talking about Eddie Valiant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because Bob Hoskins playing Eddie Valiant had some trivia, which I think is pretty funny. Ooh, yeah, lay it on. So lay, he, lay it on thick. I, I cannot lay it on any thicker. Uh, he was slated to be a last-minute replacement uh, in The Untouchables by Robert. Uh, if if Robert De Niro had had decided not to portray Al Capone, and then when De Niro took the part. Uh, the director of that movie mailed Hoskins a check for twenty thousand euros with a thank you note. 
just, why <laughs> just yeah, i don't know like just for keeping a schedule open or something uh which prompted uh bob hoskins to call up the director and ask him if there was any more films that he did not want him to be in which i think is <laughs> pretty good that's a pretty funny anecdote um yeah and and uh he's what i kind of see him as is this example of the older generation so so i th- actually feel like maybe i should talk about the twin themes that i found in this movie sure uh the first one which I, I think is Bob, uh, Bob. I keep on wanting to say Bob Costas, Bob Hoskins. <laughs> uh, the the first one, which Bob Hoskins' uh, character Eddie Valiant is sort of emphasizing, is this idea of: Do we need silliness in our lives? What does it do for us? And the main character is a huge test case in exactly that question. We watch him. We see his life is kind of trash, and this tune, you know, madness is imposed upon him, and suddenly. How does his life change? Like, do we actually yeah. need this silliness in our lives, or is it just nonsense from our youth that we need to remove? In his interactions with Roger, uh, we see at the beginning they're both polarized, you know, all work and no play, all play and no work, uh, and they sort of reach a happy middle by the end. Yeah, in the same way that the audience kind of recognize, like, starts to believe that they exist in the same space, which is it's just a nice little meta mirroring there. Yeah, there's a lot of thematic touches like that with with the animation. Yeah, and so so that's one of the the one of the themes. The other theme that I wanted to mention because I'm going to be pointing it out a lot is that there's a noir comedy s- setting that accomplishes a very effective one-two punch. Like this is as boiled down as a comedy routine gets. It is you're expecting one thing, it hits you with another. So we are expecting because it's setting up a noir genre. We were expecting Maltese Falcon. And then, bam, we get hit over the head with a comically oversized mallet that could not have come from anywhere on the person. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it, it keeps doing that. And, and it's sort of a... It draws you in just well enough again and again cla- right before delivering that, uh, that punchline. It's classic Wiley Coyote cutting the cliff and falling off the, uh, falling off the actual cliff and the precipice is just hanging in midair. You know? <laughs> but uh, because it's so... Like it's so cleverly done, it hits most every time they try it. Which is, mm, I'm way into it. I'm gonna point it out every time I can. <laughs> All right. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to mention about uh, Bob Hoskins' portrayal of Eddie Valiant, which is it would help him perform to imagine a cartoon character in the room while he was performing. Like that was apparently his uh, his acting strategy for this movie there's kind of no other way to do it but he apparently hallucinated about cartoon characters for like six months after he did the movie <laughs> imagine that like and not to make light of it like apparently this was actually like mental issues that he had to go you know get sorted out but i can't imagine you know this is what a what a drain on this person to have to act in this way that is actually making them hallucinate car- hallucinate cartoon chipmunks in ladies hats as he's trying to talk to them I just keep thinking of that uh, photo of of, uh, Gandalf surrounded by green screen just crying like, it's not supposed to be this way. (laughs) Wait, I don't even know what's... What are you talking about? Uh, You know, um, what's his name? Ian McKellen? Yeah. Um, You know, for the Hobbit movies... Do you mean Sir Ian McKellen, by the way? Sir Ian McKellen. That's right. Uh, There was so much green screen in the Hobbit movies, and you see some like behind the scenes with him, and he's just hunched over on a green bench in front of a green wall dressed up as Gandalf. And he's like... (laughs) This this isn't what acting is. I hate all of you and everyone involved in this. 
<laughs> oh man, we're linking that. <laughs> that is wonderful. Uh, all right, uh, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Roger Rabbit, played by Charlie Fleischer. Yeah, yeah. He's done some voice work. He was um, Doctor King in Nightmare on Elm Street. It was the other most cogent example I could find. Mm-hmm. He's clearly just a reference to Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is Bugs Bunny. He is uh, silly. He understands all the rules of being a cartoon, which makes him a little unprepared for when all this real life stuff happens to him. Yeah, and it is sort of like an emissary to the real world because he is, in, in sort of a kablam way, he is our um, ambassador to this tune world. You know, he is the the hot ticket of of Maroon Industries. We'll get into Maroon in a second. Um, he and Baby Herman are kind of stars in this setting, and the plot revolves around them, and you get the feeling like he is well-respected. Well, maybe not well-respected, but, like, highly visible in real world. Yeah, so the, the, the movie's set in 1947. You know, right after the war, movies are starting to really ramp up, and there's a lot of competitive competition. Competitive uh, competition. Between, <laughs> between the... Uh, you know, different movie studios, and so, like, Roger Rabbit among is... Among the movie studios. If there's more than two, it's among. Betwixt. I think there are only two in this one. <laughs> no, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he he's, like, this high-profile celebrity. Like, uh, there, there's an offhanded comment later when they're talking about the relationship between him and his wife, Jessica, and uh-huh. somebody says, yeah, she's really lucky to be with him. It's not somebody. Betty Boop says that. <laughs> It's really weird that she's there. <laughs> I know, but it's great. What a good scene that is. Um, I like him a lot. I, I don't love him, but I like him. And he's, you know, he's as manic and zany as Eddie Valiant is depressive and, you know, grouchy. So mm-hmm. it is a good comedic it, pairing. It it shows the limitation of either comedy or animation that we relate and enjoy Eddie Valiant much more. Which is tricky because by his own admission, he can only articulate in one of those spaces. Uh, by his his exact words, laughter is the only weapon we have. This is the mm-hmm. only thing that he can do to make a living. Yeah. So, um, a little bit more interesting, at least in context, is Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Zane, you, you want to give me your hot take on uh, Jessica Rabbit? I want to give her all my hot takes. <laughs> wow! I just I just put the ball on the tee. <laughs> I like to ball on her. <laughs> put <tees>. my ball. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so this is like cheesecake pinup model as filtered through the lens of, uh, you know, Every, everything is its platonic ideal in this movie. You're right. Everything is as much a stereotype as it can be. Like, Bugs Bunny was not a stereotype as Roger Rabbit. Like, Roger Rabbit, like, takes it to the extreme. Jessica Rabbit takes, um, you know, olive oil to the extreme. It's all this <laughs> this presentation. So, like, not only is she the only woman in this and she's the object of affection, she's also slinky, like, like slinked out into, into like, this... this showgirl kind of dress she is the dame that walks into uh the office damn legs up to heaven she is the femme fatale it's it's everything at once and it it works so it goes to show fucking well 
it goes to show how much the writers understood and respected the source genre. Absolutely. By making by making her so empowered. Totally. And and, and by she, she knows more than the heroes. She acts more than the heroes. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody else is unraveling she, the plot. She is instigating parts of it. We almost can't track her until the very end. We can't. She is meant to be kind of this nebulous figure. You know, she she is not trustworthy. We don't kind of know anything about her. Even her first appearance, we're like really unequipped to deal with what she is in every sense of that sentence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, this is very intentional. They understand noir. <laughs> and then I, I think there's only really one more major character to touch on. Yep. Would you, would you like to would you like to lead into it with uh, maybe a particular Doc Brown zinger or? <laughs> What do you want? What do you want? To- We're going. We don't need eyelids. <laughs> wow. I thought you might have one ready. Christopher Lloyd as as Judge Doom. Of course, it's Judge Doom. In, in- goddamn, like <laughs> chewing the scenery, never blinks, just staring and creeping all day. It's like in Rent how like the bad guy's name is like Mister Coffin. Yeah. It's, wow. It's so blatant. I bet he did it. I'd be the bad guy. Murderer. Um, he is a foil to Eddie's tune-hating ways, uh, in that, for Eddie, it's a personal thing. Um, background knowledge, a tune killed Eddie's brother, and so now he's a carrying a grudge. tune killed my brother. Tune killed my brother. Um, <laughs> and now he's carrying a grudge. For Eddie, it's personal. For Doom, it's just racist. He is just, <laughs> he, he wants to kill every tune there is. It is, uh, like, until the very end, you're like... Why does what this is person the, exist? Yeah, like what? What is, is he about? Possible? And then the end so happens, and it's so no more a, satisfying. So he's a judge, but he's not like trying cases. He's like part of the investigation team, and he just like randomly kills things. Judge means whatever you want it to mean in this. <laughs> judge means executioner. He, he watched Judge Dredd as well. <laughs> he is the law. <laughs> he's he's something like the law. But yeah, those those are kind of the main characters. He is just a foil to Eddie. Um, I guess it also worth mentioning is Eddie's love interest, Dolores. I honestly didn't find her that interesting. Yeah, she, uh, you know, she's the, um, hard scrabble sidekick sort of thing. It's, it's tricky because I wanted to find her interesting because I don't particularly like being, uh, complacent in patriarchy, but honestly, there wasn't that much interesting about her in this setting. She is pretty classic noir- Love interest. Ah, Dolores, you've done it again. <laughs> Straight to the moon. Um, I mean, she's she's fine functionally in the plot. I just didn't focus a lot on her. Do you? Did you have any no, uh, opinions? I, I don't disagree. I, I think if we uh, if we pop on her in the plot, you know, we we can note some specific things that I enjoyed. But yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess let's just get into the plot then. Well, a uh, couple quick things. Oh yes. Um, the animation, it's worth mentioning, you know, everything had to be done with practical effects um, because the film, like, when the cartoons interact with the world, they have this weight to it. Like, they are really interacting with things, so they had to plan these things out <laughs> It's so Uncanny Valley. It's great. I love it. It's, like it, the- it shows just how much work they put into it because other films, you know, didn't. Well, I, I kind of like it because, like, the characters fit okay, but then when they have work, they grab an object. It is so clear that, like, these objects don't belong in the same universe. Like, <laughs> the, the edges of reality are fraying whenever he picks up a portable yeah. hole. There's there's some, uh, you know, there's, there's some specific examples we'll get into. It's just, as I'm watching it, I'm like, they had to do all the live-action stuff before any animation began. 
I'll, I'll point it out again. It's not perfect. Like it's no. a, the best expression that we've that we've encountered so far. But it's clear that this technology is not at its. It yeah. hasn't plateaued. Like it, it doesn't look like they belong in the same world. When they make a mistake, they have to fix it with animation. So like, um, you know, Bob Hoskins is trying to look Ed, uh, is trying to look Roger in the eye, and he misses. And so they just have to draw Roger like standing on his feet to make it yeah. make sense. Yeah, or like shuffling to the correct place. Yeah. Um, that, that like little things like that happen a lot. It really doesn't detract from it at all. This is still very impressive. Yeah. But I did want to note that it's not perfect. Yeah. Uh, like but the, the cohesive medium is still whole of it evolving. The, the the themes of it are are very good. Um, yeah, and there's there so is a smooth jazz noir spectrum. throughout. Pardon? They're so on opposite sides of the spectrum <laughs> uh, in every essence. Like the lighting, very dark versus very light and uh, colorful, you know, grayscale versus colorful. The music, laid back, dramatic, tense versus, you know, you know, it's like all the, all the Looney Tune Orchestra nonsense. Yeah. I, and I love the like noir dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, oh, she's she's the cream in my coffee. Uh, you better start taking it black. You all know, of those, all of those stupid zingers get me every because line. because it could be the same line in a, in noir a real setting, noir in an actual noir movie, but it, also the same line in like a wisecracking. You know, uh, Woody Woodpecker could say that kind of thing. Yeah, like <laughs> you could. I'm surprised they don't have, like, a, a scene where, like, an actual person, like, puts on, like, a Groucho Marx-esque, like, nose and mustache and glasses <laughs> and, and says the exact same line, but in an accent. <laughs> it's not a war, it's a moita. Nice. Yeah. Um, we'll point it out as it goes, but, like, I'm, I'm honestly extremely into this movie, and I don't think I'll have much bad to say about it, so... Let's get into it. Get, re- get ready for effusive praise, everyone. <laughs> All right, uh, we start with a fake out. We get it. It looks like a classic Looney Tunes episode. Nope, <laughs> nope. Even before that, say <laughs> uh, the intro is. It starts like a noir movie. You know, it's got like this jazzy intro, and the logo appears, and then you know it. it it's kind of it's kind of smooth jazz it's moving along sting comes. getting us ready for it and then <laughs> right away it's that theme that i'm talking about that one two punch noir yeah. and then comedy just pulverizes it it's so <laughs> this is exactly what the rest of the movie is going to do so if you're not invested in the first 10 seconds best of luck uh, and in this uh you know, they try and play it like, oh, this is just going to be a cartoon and not even a particularly modern cartoon. But the, the animation here is particularly extravagant. Yeah. Uh, they're getting astronaut- in every possible gag. Oh, my God. The, the, the budget for this cartoon would be astronomical. <laughs> if, if, it was a, if it was a live uh, full feature film. Right? Yeah. No, like if, if they did this, uh, presumably this is not a full feature film. This is just a short, you know? Like yeah. Popeye in... A bridge too far, or something like that, and then the cartoon back when starts. they were doing it in black and white, and you know, cost cutting everywhere. You know, Yogi Bear doesn't have a head or a neck or whatever. Right, but but they're going through loving detail. They're rotating the camera, doing doing a, a ton of like 
a ton of very sophisticated motion work. They're using everything from Tom and Jerry's kitchen shenanigans. <laughs> everything goes in. Um, and it's pretty engaging. Like, I could have stomached a little bit less of it, but it's established. <laughs> like they, they were, they were like getting it all in. They were like going as far as they could before you would wander off being like, oh, I got tricked. And it's that one-two punch again with the opposite kind of framework. Yeah, we're now backwards. getting used to a cartoon and then and cut and it yeah. pans out into a real life studio. <laughs> um the the cartoon itself Baby Herman and Roger Rabbit are like having a thing like Baby Herman's in the care of Roger and they go through the kitchen uh and it's, it's, all sorts of chaos happens. It's, it's, it's that Animaniac segment, right? It's um Buttons and Mindy. But but the conclusion is, you know, the, the refrigerator drops on Roger, it opens and he's seeing birds, and the director calls cut because he forgot his line. <laughs> like, because he's his supposed line. to see stars. Like, he has control over this. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, I, I'm not sure. It, he might. We don't know anything about dunes. The, but the merging of these worlds is great. The director even says, like, can we cut the music? And the music just stops. Yeah, we don't know who's playing it. <laughs> There's probably some, like, jazz crows, like we see later. Yeah, there's a lot of nice little touches. Absolutely. Uh, as we as we see the where the movie is set. Yeah, it it like I said, it pans out to an actual like studio, and the set and Baby Herman and Roger are the only cartoon things in this studio. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you Two very much. Humans live together. It, well, it feels a little bit like uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this it's too strong a word, but like it feels a little bit minstrel showy to me. Yeah, it's segregation. Right, it, you yeah, know, you separate bring people. them on because it's what the people want to see, and then you know, back to Toontown at the end of the day. Well, and not even I'm, I'm overstating it. It's not really that because the director is in love with Baby Herman. He, he's like, no, you were great. Nothing, you, everything you did was great. Everybody loves you, but this guy. Well, we and get I'm the assuming sense that he Rogers like, like that. on the way. You know, Rogers on the way down, Herman's on the way up. It's just stardom. Something like that, um, and you know, uh, the, the the detail escapes that. Uh, tunes you can hit them as much as you want and it doesn't really matter so roger's like i can take it i can take it and like tries to hit himself a bunch more and he can't quite get stars to come out of his head um yeah. and, and it, they, it's they, establishing all the rules of the world yeah pretty effectively and pretty subtly i thought um eddie is watching uh yeah, he goes it's to talk to the producer uh, maroon who owns the studio, I think. Even before that, he's just, like, watching this kind of scene unfold before, you know, going to see meet with uh, the producer. And he just, like, watches the entire scene, and he just grimaces and says, Tunes. It's like, <laughs> mm. And then nips from his flask. Like it, yeah, we, perfect we, characterization, 10 we, seconds. We, 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 yeah, exactly. It's, what an economy of effort that is. <laughs> after, after this huge extravagant thing. <laughs> No, that's actually awesome. Like, what a contrast. We're going through this ridiculous, you know, um, Three Stooges routine that spans multiple minutes, giving us no substance, and then just this perfect little tidbit of noir that tells us every more than we got in the previous five minutes. It's great. Mm-hmm. So he goes to talk to Maroon, um, mm-hmm. and Maroon's like, Roger is not working out. He's distracted. He He, you know, it's that no good wife of his. We want you to to follow her. You know, we we can tell she's trouble. Go follow her. Find out what's happening. I don't get Mr. Maroon's angle here. <laughs> what what exactly is the end game here? He, it, he, the, the end game is revealed later, but, but it it makes no sense in the present moment. Like let's get Jessica 
to break up with him or get some dirt on on him so that Roger won't be distracted. It's it's real stupid. Um, yeah. I think maybe the stated reason is like, oh, you know, Roger has suspicions, but we if, if we collapse that wave function one way or the other, we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But anyway, it's going to cost you 100 simoleons if you want those pictures. <laughs> $100. Man, I love how Eddie charges him 100 bucks, and Maroon exclaims it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Eddie demands a hundred dollars as he's pouring himself a drink from the man's liquor cabinet well, and it's from a bottle that is more almost certainly costs more than a hundred dollars <laughs> it's yeah like it's it's very self-aware well this was you know 47 i didn't know how much money was worth back then <laughs> i i don't know i i i kind of like the idea that it's in the 80s but people just haven't adapted to how money works <laughs> maybe that's not correct uh so he takes the job Yep, he's going to go uh, get some pictures of Jessica so that he can, uh, I don't know, get Roger to quit or get his head on the task. Whatever it is, he goes outside and sees a bunch of tunes moving around. <laughs> yeah, lots of little jokes, like uh, God, you know, the saxophonist it. playing the Wizard's Apprentice. Oh, the God. Clean up. It's a real saxophonist, and it's cartoon yeah. brooms. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, and since the movie is set in, you know, 47, they limit themselves to the early stuff, which, which is nice. You know, yeah. it's more cohesive. You don't you don't have a as full a range, so you have to think more creatively about what to do with them. Well, yeah, and, and it's you know, it's it's not an original observation, but this movie is well remembered for having something for everybody. Yeah. So you know, it's the same idea <laughs> Pro- that provided that that something is Bob Hoskins drinking. <laughs> <laughs> really, that's just that's just family fun. <laughs> I got you a Christmas present. The, but like it's it, it's a kind of adage of those old cartoons having jokes for the parents you know so that they're invested it's it's the opposite approach it's a noir movie that just happens to have fucking dumbo and mickey mouse it's ridiculous (laughs) it's like how on earth could this world be so like sad if this if these characters exist in it It, it's amazing and and it makes no sense and that's sort of the point um Uh, we also see los angeles see what it's like you know it's got Public transportation. I don't need a car. LA's got the best public transit in the world. This is the weirdest moment in the movie for me. Yeah, because it seems like just a little, like, take that. But then later, it becomes a vital plot point. I'm not even talking about that. Eddie can't afford bus fare. Fine, he doesn't have change because he's kind of a schmuck. Uh, So he hops on the back of the bus where three little rascals are just sitting there smoking. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) I think they're trying to, like, establish a setting just way far in that direction what just like, like very get, urban get the, audience, and, you get the know. audience to really accept that this is not their world time-wise or place-wise but that's not really a noir thing like who are these kids <laughs> there aren't <laughs> any kids in noir and these kids certainly aren't cartoons so what exactly am i looking at here you know where we're getting some characterization um, <laughs> but it's it's a characterization that doesn't exist in the rest of this movie it's just so bizarre what are those kids doing there it's like from the sand i want to give it credit i i think they're just trying to show like this is how down on his luck eddie is and you know he goes and he sees bills in his mailbox (laughs) he doesn't doesn't need the the trash doesn't need the three accompanying you know like bus urchins there to like (laughs) share his woes he he buys smokes off of them later it's telling us like oh yeah okay there's urchins here fine (laughs) (laughs) it's called world building ben it's it's the like it's the most haphazard like epileptic world building that i've seen in a while 
<laughs> if you could figure out how this fits into a later scene, please let me know. Because <laughs> I can't figure it out. Uh, but anyway, he gets off the bus. Yeah, goes goes to the bar, gets his, uh, you know, we find out he had a relationship with Dolores, the, the you know, bartender there. Dolores. Um, I got a She reveals to uh, the audience that a, a toon killed his brother. <laughs> Bada bing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I, I, I got to borrow your camera for this job because uh, mine's in the shop. That wouldn't be the pawn shop by any chance, would it? God. <laughs> Don't... Bu- Noir. What am I gonna get? The, what am I getting the other fifty bucks? Don't bust a button, Dolores. You only got one left. God, oh, <laughs> Zane, I'm marinating over here. <laughs> so are they? They're so hot for each other. <laughs> They're hot to trot. <laughs> I uh, I gotta figure out what that expression means. I feel like it's very offensive. <laughs> and then, I mean, I mean, once is a you know, once is a mistake, two is a coincidence. But by this point, you really should find out. <laughs> I, I, you know what? One moment. Urban Dictionary. How 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 ashamed should I be? Re- movie. <laughs> Dictionary says ready and eager to engage in an activity. <laughs> Do you see the movie called Hot to Trot, which is dangerously close to Bojack Horseman? <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwaite <laughs> profits from market tips he overheard. In the stables when he's talking to a horse. Oh my god, saying the tagline for this movie. Well, first of all, it's the talking horse says, when I talk, you're going to laugh yourself, horse. Okay. <laughs> this horse is monstrous looking. <laughs> yeah, he's real bad. But then the tagline for this movie is, the funniest talking horse movie ever. <laughs> but I think we need to watch this movie. All right, Hot to Trot, 1988. By oh, it was the same year, Ben. Warner Brothers. Oh, yeah. Maybe this is. Maybe they saw the relationship between Bob Hoskins and Dolores and were like, you know, I've got an idea. Fred P. Cheney receives as inheritance after the death of his uh, of his mother a speaking horse that also has good knowledge about the stock market. <laughs> it's like the Brack Show. <laughs> inter- interspecies marriages. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they're having some great noir dialogue. Uh, here's to the pencil pushers. May they all get lead poisoning. It's it's pretty great. The the tunes aren't around, so this is just a noir parody. We we know that the tunes are like lurking in the fringes, which allows all of these over the top cornball noir parody jokes to actually hit. Because we know they're not mm. going to last. We know that this world is not what the characters are purporting it to be. <laughs> we know it's so and, much uh, weirder. And then he goes down to the uh, you know local establishment um, to where Jessica Rabbit works. He's going to try and get some leads, see what she's been up to. Yeah, and we get a couple of uh, fun sequences, which kind you can say world building. I think they were just like, guys, we got access to a lot of properties uh, yeah, more than we fine. know how to fit in a plot. I, I have no problem. The the only problem with the world building earlier is because the two tu- there weren't tunes on the back of that bus. <laughs> oh, I see. That's that's the only problem I had with it. When, when it's not serious, it better be a tune. Um, and, <laughs> you know, we we get a lot of fun vignettes here. We get a uh, uh, Donald Duck and Daffy Duck somehow, you know, together at last doing a a weird, you know, um, a weird vaudevillian kind of a, a vaudeville meets slapstick routine of them playing pianos, which I found pretty enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. And uh, you know. Cartoon penguins as waiters always make me smile. Like this is, I like this place. I would go to this speakeasy. 
Yeah, I mean, if this is where I get to meet anthropomorphic cartoons. Yeah, uh, I, I he, guess I pretty meets, much go to a, a, a cave in the North Pole for that. So he he meets Marvin Acme, fucking Acme obnoxious Industries. character. Oh my god, it's the Riddler, but fat and not wearing that suit. He's so irritating. Like, <laughs> first first thing he does is spray Eddie with you know disappearing ink. and then electrocute him. Yeah, joke buzzer with, with an insidious grin on his face the entire time. This is just a five year old that got into the growth potion. That's what it feels like. I'm glad that you had a similar reaction to this character. I really hate him. But it's fine, because he's going to get murdered very shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All's well that ends well. Um, but yeah, this is a, a lead. He, he's apparently the one who uh, is the owner, proprietor of Toontown? Something? Inventor. Something. Uh, inventor of Toontown? <laughs> yeah, he's a warlock. That's how all these tunes got here. <laughs> That's right. He has to play caddy, patty cake to refresh his energy. Uh, uh, Betty Yeah, I, Betty Boop shows up Betty Boop shows up. Uh, apparently, apparently, Bob Hoskins dipped his pen into that company ink. <laughs> what does that mean? Ben? <laughs> you know exactly what it means. These guys are down to clown. I, I've seen the like Betty Boop used to be cool joke several times in different like media, different shows and such. Can Is you, it like can you cite something? Uh, what was it? Uh, what was that? Um, cartoon on Comedy Central, Drawn Together, the reality show one. Oh yeah, she got. She, yeah, that that was, Betty Boop stand-in, and I feel like I've seen it a couple other times too. Yeah, it's not the best. Um, I like her here though, like her as like kind of a waitress. She fits. She, she's not on stage anymore. She's a waitress now. Her 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 time is kind of over, but you know, but I still got it. Yeah, you still got it, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying these guys had something. <laughs> they they had a little bee doop bee doop. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. And finally, we see Jessica Rabbit. And it, it's pretty obvious Eddie thought he was going to see, like, Roger Rabbit in a dress. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, this movie is so legendary that there, we know what's going to happen, but he doesn't, which I think only makes that joke better. <laughs> no, because she's just sex personified. It's, it's a pretty great scene uh, to a pretty great song. You had plenty money, 19. Yeah, she's like smooth singing and, and like getting real up close to Eddie, you know, with a hat, the tie, just kind of... Yeah, it's like, and, and, it's and this is where the animation like feels weighty, feels real. Yeah, definitely. Whenever she steps on screen, very everything kind of feels weighty. <laughs> it's it's almost like she interacts with the real world much better than the other cartoon characters, as if to say like she's a better actress than these other animated actors. Well, she's blending, right? Yeah, she 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 she's spent a she's more that time. Game. She spent more time in the she caters to the human world, so she doesn't spend as much time in the toon world and. You know, her characteristics are starting to rub off. And as we'll see later, the degree to which a person is capable of making others laugh is directly proportional to their power in Toon World. <laughs> so, you know, it, she does kind of play this I'm powerful, but I'm not powerful sort of sort of, uh, sort of of thing. It's really strange. Because in the human world, sex is powerful. In the Toon World, laughter is powerful. Mm-hmm. So it, it's... 
I think that her and Roger are a really interesting pair for that reason. Like, it's 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 power expressed in two different venues. I think that, her, that the song sequence is actually very funny because of how everyone reacts to it. Specific, like, she's married to the rabbit. Yeah, what a lucky goyle. It's so good. <laughs> it's such a good line. And this entire scene works because we're watching Bob Hoskins' facial expressions get, like, more and more disturbed. Because you have to imagine, because he's not actually looking at anything, so you have to imagine the director saying, like, look hot and bothered. More hot. (laughs) More bothered. (laughs) More hot, more bothered. (laughs) Work yourself into a froth, sir. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Uh, Every time there's a scene where Eddie's interaction is just emoting without any words, (laughs) it is my favorite scene. (laughs) He's got that great face. He does. Um, but yeah, Eddie's thrown out of the club. I don't remember why. Because <laughs> he's, uh... Look at him. Yeah, uh, he, he, he follows... looks like he should be thrown out of a, out of a club. <laughs> <laughs> he follows Jessica and uh, Marvin Acme to their to the tryst. Yep. Watches them playing patty cake. Noir shot. Like, we, we see the person taking the pictures, but we don't see the activity. That tension that, you know, they're building tension. They don't want us to see what's behind that shutter. I don't know if it was in the original book, but it's definitely in noir before playing patty cake as a phrase. It, it's is supposed it actually... to be slang for it. Yeah, it, it's been used before. It's supposed to be slang for sex. It's. I mean, Here, it sounds like it. They're just playing patty cake. <laughs> yeah, because they show the pictures to Roger in the next scene back at Maroon's office. Maroon and and uh, and Eddie are showing the pictures to Roger Rabbit. <laughs> and this is where it really hits home. It's like, wait, that was your plan? This is not going to go well. <laughs> well, like I love, I love the bait and switch here because. Constantly playing patty cake, playing patty cake, and we see Roger is like, "No, she wasn't playing patty cake," and and, and you know he slams the pictures down. He's like, "Damn it, I've got evidence!" And Roger is flipping through the pictures, which we finally get to see, and it's just Acme looking like a giddy seven-year-old on Christmas morning, <laughs> calmly playing patty cake with Jessica Rabbit, <laughs> like like a flip book. And Roger Rabbit could not be more distraught. <laughs> and. Like, like, he looks like he's been cheated on. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, they, they sell it. He sells it. They they give him a drink. They're like, come on, you got to relax. <laughs> yeah, but it's... The, uh, you know, drinking makes him explode. Yeah. Um, it's... I mean... Yeah. Uh, it, and he's like, relax, you'll find a new dame. I don't fish want a new sea. dame. <laughs> We're going to get through this. It, he just bursts through a window. Yeah, it's... So like, <laughs> it's tune stuff. Like he's handling heartbreak in a way that makes us laugh. It, and it's weird because he's actually also handling heartbreak in like a very healthy relationship way, more so than any other relationship in the movie. Yeah. L- let me explain what I mean by that because his reaction to seeing the patty cake pictures, which I really hope I get to use that phrase at least five more times. It's like, I gotta, I gotta hear my wife's side of the story. He's like, no, how could you do this to me? And then is immediately like, someone must have made her do it. And if you saw <laughs> which, anybody, which true. if you, but if you saw anybody in real life using this, using this logic, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's a healthy relationship. You'd be like, he's deluded. This is a person <laughs> in denial. Um, 
you know, and yeah, as my uh, my boyfriend Ethan is, is says that you know Roger and Jessica have the healthiest relationship in the whole thing because he trusts her implicitly. You know, saying yeah. it can't be true. Benefit of the doubt. Some somebody made her do this, but it's <laughs> I don't know the, the the situation just reads to me like Roger is in extreme denial, and I think that it that is the noir message that it's also trying to send. Roger doesn't live in noir. In noir, yes, she is cheating. It, yeah, but in Looney Tunes, you know, happily ever after. Yeah, we we get the subversion. That's we a good need point. A subversion. That's a good point. He's doing what makes sense in his world, even though he's confronted with a situation not of his world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, uh, good point. Eddie has completed his job, goes home to his really shabby apartment. I love this. I love this scene. I mean, I, I've said yeah. it like three times before. This scene is so good at establishing what you want to know about Eddie. We we get to see his like physical memoirs because you know he's a detective. He's got a lot of of uh, you know photographs and evidence of everything. So we see him with Dolores. We see him with his old with his brother, my um, brother. Both no of them respect. with their dad back at the circus. Apparently, their dad was like P.T. Barnum or something. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's amazing. These are great details. <laughs> and then, like, it's going through like newsreels uh, as it goes through the desk of you know the Valiant Boys have done it again, and it shows like nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie found <laughs> like, like it- Valiant Brothers stop Go- Goofy from being executed for treason. <laughs> I'm, I'm in love with this movie. Like, every time they mix these genres, it's the most ludicrous thing, and it makes me laugh. I, I don't know what um, else there is to say about it. It's brilliant. We, we see his, uh, his brother's space is uh, still empty, but it's like, you know, keeping it warm as if he could ever come back. Yeah, he hasn't changed the sheets. Yeah. And, and just from the newsreels, we see, like, oh, he did used to take jobs for tunes. Like yes. Something changed. Not only that, he was a he was a he was a champion of Toontown. Mm-hmm. Like he 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 was definitely on their side, and his brother getting killed by a tune sort of changed everything. And uh, now I I, I want you like he falls asleep at his desk. I want you to realize this is the last sleep he gets until after the movie. What what did you say? This is the last time he's gonna sleep until the movie is over. Oh, you think so he's everything that's about to end? happen is going to take place in one day. <laughs> yeah, it's so a get ready. It's a pretty big scene. I and that I also like the time time phrase around the edges as well as reality. So the, like, the, for some reason, it just didn't bother me because I was cartoon logic the whole way through. Yeah. But uh, I will mention that this scene is so effective in showing us who Eddie Valiant is now because we haven't seen him so much as smile since the beginning of the movie. But in every picture in the past, he's smiling, he's, smiling, he's joking, he's laughing. He's son of a clown. Like, mm-hmm. his birthright, he's, like, denying it because he can't get over his brother's death. The The past is as, you know, fantastical a world as that of a cartoon. It, it really feels that way. It is a fantasy, and he can't live in it. Um, yeah, so he's woken up by, you know, Commissioner Gordon or whatever. <laughs> Lieutenant Santino. Yeah, and Marvin Acme has been moited. <laughs> Your brother Marvin Acme. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Eddie goes to the crime scene. Yeah. I love the crime scene. So there's a chalk outline on the ground, but there's a safe where the head would be. <laughs> this is big. Also, this is in a warehouse filled with, like, tune paraphernalia which will come back later yeah but pretty much a spencer's gifts in the background <laughs> it's, it's pretty great uh um you know roger is the prime suspect right because 
you know, he just found out about the cheating. Uh, they're questioning Jessica Rabbit, who slaps Eddie for his role in all this. Yeah, and, and meanwhile, like, the cops are just kind of making fun of, of Eddie. You know, the other cops there are just like, uh, yeah, I thought you were working with Jack Daniels now, or something like that. You know, he, or I thought you changed your name to Jack Daniels instead of Eddie Valley. They, they just don't let up on this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he's been a failure since, uh, you know, his brother died. He hasn't been able to pull himself out of it. Yeah, I, I mean, just like the dialogue is still very... It's it's in that way. It's very noir. It's great, um, but then they you know change it back to that it again with that one poop one two punch. The dialogue is very noir, but, but then there's a bunch of like rubber shoes walking around and squeaking and like extendo <laughs> boxing gloves and black holes like uh, like portable holes that they stick onto walls. He's like, hey Fred, check this out. And you know Eddie's actually doing some investigation. He sees you know uh, uh, Acme had something in his hand. You know he had that joy buzzer reaches down to pick it up, and he gets, like, a boot to his wrist, and then he gets stopped by this, whew, quite a character. Yeah, um, I, I want to I mention here that I think that uh, the registers, the way the registers mix here is really funny, because for the most part, it's fine. You pick up that weird extendo boxing glove that is clearly an object that did not exist when they were filming it. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's animating in a way that, you know, it's animating in discrete steps. It's, like, weirdly fuzzy around the edges in the way that reality isn't. It really does go to show you, like, they could barely pull this off. <laughs> That's what, It was so groundbreaking. I, I mean, you're right. Have, you're right. They didn't have no CGI. I, I almost wonder if something like that could be pulled off today. You know, I feel like it was such a transitory experience. It's a matter of effort. Maybe. Like, I, I don't know if they could manage to do this and recognize that they're trying to mix two registers. Like, I, I almost feel like trying to do mm-hmm. it today, they wouldn't have the uh, ability to kind of keep them separate, you know? Like, I think the fact that they are separate is necessary to get this contrast going. And so to have them mix more fluidly, I almost feel like would be worse. Oh, interesting, because they, you know, people are always talking about the merits of practical effects instead of CGI right. nowadays. Um. I guess it's just a matter of pre-planning and limiting yourself in that way. I guess so. I yeah, like 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 trying to uh, like trying to play uh, you know um, O Fortuna on like a Minecraft thing, you know, mm-hmm. you just kind of impressive in its own right for the for the limitations you put on it. Anyway, uh, so I went down a bit of a hole. I'm sorry about that. I I have it in my notes here. It just says Christopher Lloyd happens for a while. <laughs> That's really what it is. <laughs> Enter obvious villain, <laughs> dressed in all black. Yeah, has a cane. These maniacal, these maniacal gloves, and like these terrible, the, these like these those round shades. If if you have round shades, you're the bad guy in the story. <laughs> please, please recognize this. Um, Unless you're in Heroes, in which case it's the horned rim glasses guy. Noticeably, his name Judge Doom is sort of cartoony. Yeah, like it sounds. And so is Valiant oh, for that matter. Alerts. No, for, so, so is Valiant. Like Valiant sounds like you know Sturgeon, or like it sounds like a noun if, because it's a noun. So like it sounds like um, it sounds like it's a cartoon name. I don't know for some reason that just Sturgeon. Yeah, I don't know why that. Yeah, it's a, it's a family name <laughs> of the of the main Sturgeon. <laughs> That's right of the of the New Hampshire Sturgeons. So, um, 
so he picks up one of these, you know, cartoon shoes yeah, fell that, out of uh, a box. that got loose there. Yeah. And he he's just gonna, you know, show everyone how villainous he is by acting as an executioner for something that didn't do a crime and also he's a judge and that's not what a judge is. I, I, I like to try to think of it in terms of his his passion is kind of carrying him beyond the confines of what his job is so uh you know the way judge brown exclaims a human has been murdered by a tune don't you appreciate the magnitude of that like it makes me realize that tunes are actually second class citizens here and nobody feels it more strongly than judge doom are you aware that the first time you said you said judge brown (laughs) (laughs) i think i put judge brown in the notes (laughs) Uh, and he kills them by dissolving them in something called the dip god it's so evocative and it uh you know it's this combination of industrial solvents it's really gruesome it's 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 like uh you you know we've dealt with like really evocative names before like the leveler or or the krellman like it just it sticks in your brain you're not gonna forget about what the dip you know the the jammer the jammer yeah, and um, and it gets it gets a little silly, like toward the end of the movie, where they're all like, "Oh, it's the dip! It's the dip!" Every other noun is the dip. <laughs> Run from and the dip. And it just sounds really stupid after a while. Yeah, barrel full of dip. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes it sound like a weird narcotic that we're not aware of. It just makes me sound like we're at a party I don't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Eddie does retreat to his office at this point, and he runs into Baby Herman. Roger's not guilty. He's a lot of things, but not a moiterer. Yeah, and they, Roger and Baby Herman didn't have a good relationship on set. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, this is a cool kind of weird nationalistic beat here where, like, you know, I don't like the kid, but he's no killer. You well, know? I thought he, they were he, friends, and it was just, I don't know, maybe he was frustrated on that particular day. If they were friends, they didn't express it before mm-hmm. this point. But yeah, and he talks about, you know, Toon Solidarity and how Acme had a will promising Toontown to the Toons, but the paper says Acme didn't have a will. So he's like, I want you to get to the bottom of this. And it's this baby with a stogie and like speaking in this gruff voice. But again, one, two punch. Everything is noir, including the, you know, the plot. It's telling us, okay, who bumped off Acme? We now have a motive to this crime. <laughs> like, this could have been, like, replaced baby in a stroller with any person, and this is just a noir scene. Uh, Eddie turns down the job. I don't I don't want people to think I work for tunes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and it's going to take a bit of convincing. But, but he, luckily... <laughs> he realizes very quickly that Herman was telling the truth, because, you know, he has his paper, he's got his whiskey, he downs it. He puts the glass down, and it acts as a magnifying glass. He's like, wait a second. Right there in the front page, we can see the will. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like, And that's like, this is like investigative detective stuff, but it's solved in such a comedic way that, like, again, it's just mixing, yeah, it's, mixing it's the genres. accidental. You know, comedy is when somebody benefits through no fault of their own. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly that. And he's just, you know, uh, you know what? I've had a long day. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sleep on this. He just woke up. Remember, he just woke up. He's going. <laughs> he down saw to a nap. crime scene. It's draining. <laughs> <laughs> he just encountered the dip, Zane. <laughs> you don't, you, you don't, you don't. You're not the same way after encountering the dip. I can tell you're you. You're not gonna walk away after ten minutes with the dip. <laughs> <laughs> the boulder. Yeah. Uh. So he goes to take a nap. 
Oh no, but Roger's in his bed. <laughs> oh no, but then Roger is in his bed. And thus begins the erotic adventures of Roger and Eddie Valiant coexisting. Yeah. Roger Roger's gonna spend the next ten minutes or so alternately <laughs> chained to beg, this cartoon. Well, he's, yeah. They're gonna chain get chained together and Roger's gonna beg for help and then completely sabotage him back and forth for quite a while. He can't help himself. He has to do the funniest thing possible, and it's funniest if we're almost going to get caught. There's um, there's a lot of great uh, physical interactions and uh, animation stuff in this segment when when they're handcuffed together. Like, uh, you know, when he's hiding in the sink, for example, and mm-hmm. he spits out water, and it's real water because there was a yeah. pipe that there's a pipe that could raise and lower that was acting as him. Uh, or when, oh, like, cool! I didn't think of that. Or, or when they're cutting, you know, the handcuff chain later, and the box that he like that the chain is resting on is moving back and forth, and Roger holds the box steady. Yeah, like all all these little things constantly. <laughs> I'd like to mention Eddie doesn't have keys for his own handcuffs. Very dumb. Very dumb. <laughs> it's How so does this great. happen? <laughs> because he's a he's a he's he's really down on his luck. He's not doing so good. I had to sell my keys. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great, but not the handcuff. No matter how bad, how bad things get, <laughs> that's I'm a, not fam- that's a family heirloom. Uh, but yeah, so they get in. You know, uh, th- throughout the rest of the scene, uh, some weasels apparently in the employ of Judge Doom. Yeah, uh, you know, come by snooping around. It's like, where's the rabbit? Because apparently he's just, they, they're they're guessing. They have no idea that Roger would go to this guy. But like Eddie's the only guy in town who helps tunes. That's his that's his legacy. So. <laughs> it's like there were there were two people linked to this murder. One we know where one of them is. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. I, I forgot that that was the case. Um, that you know, the reason that Roger would presumably committed the murder was because he saw him, the Acme playing patty cake with uh with mm-hmm. Jessica Rabbit. And, uh, and like, Eddie took pictures of it. And and even after everything, like, Roger is still super in love with Jessica. He, he you know, I wrote a love letter to her and lipstick, which comes <laughs> yeah. up later. Like, I, I, I feel weird because I'm mentioning all these little details that kind of don't matter. But if, they become very important later. And right. If, if we didn't mention, like, there's no easy way to mention them because they don't register as jokes or as, like, weird noir stuff in the movie it's just extraneous and like no way to say later in the you know at the end of this episode be like by the way the public transit system's been an important plot point in the background by the way roger wrote a love letter we haven't mentioned it because it wasn't important till now but they've been planning it since the first quarter every time something like that happens that isn't a noir scene or a comedy (laughs) joke it makes it's it's wrong like it, it i feel like it doesn't belong like i understand that they're setting plot stuff up to happen later but you know they're setting it, later plot stuff up as earlier comic stuff but since the the goal isn't comedy in the first place it's not as funny it i i don't know i feel like you could have done this like earlier like the whole like why would i need a car public transportation and then getting shown he has to go to the back of that bus because he doesn't have any change that's you know establishing something about eddie which i think is i think kind of works yeah but here I don't think so. Like every stuff, everything about the will feels so forced. Yeah, that's that's sort of the only weak point in the plot. Aside from like, why did Maroon hire 
Eddie in the first place. <laughs> the, the, the motivations of most of the characters make no sense. <laughs> even in con- even with of, the context at the end, it's sort of it just has to sort of be fine. It's like listen, by the end of the movie, they're not going to be hung up on the stuff that happened at the beginning of the movie. It's only look, some you, assholes in the future watching it twice who are going to have a problem with it. Look, do you want to meet Bugs Bunny or not? This is the price of admission. You want to meet the bunny? <laughs> so uh they they head Bunny off to Dolores' bar. And the dip. <laughs> Roger is disguised as a hump in a trench coat. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Uh I th- I think that it's pretty great that it requires uh Eddie Valiant to look like Deep Throat. And uh so. you know they go into the back room and um you know like I said you know they they <laughs> get themselves out of handcuffs and the... Roger Roger like l- slinks his arm out of the handcuffs because they don't fit him. So he could have gone out of them at any time. And Roger's response is, no, only when it was funny. (laughs) Which is a perfect answer. And I kind of hope that it's true. (laughs) Like there's a mental block or a physical block. So uh, I don't know how much you are familiar with Dresden Files. I know I've talked about it a lot. Yeah, Uh, the The fairy courts in that series... Everybody is kind of beholden to this aspect of fairy life, which it, fairy life, which is that <laughs> you you can you can't say a falsehood, but you kind of have to talk in genie speak, where everything is very circuitous and like sure. you're not getting the full truth, and so you can't tell an abject lie, but telling direct information is physically painful. Yeah, I, I, I like it. So I think that that is a similar thing to what is happening here. Like it is physically uncomfortable for Roger Rabbit to do things normally, and, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, another aspect of that in in a little bit. Um, this scene, but, oh God, that's this scene, so good. So I, I watched a video by um, Captain Christian. I think I mentioned him before on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. and he mentioned this scene specifically where they they go into this dark room and there's a lamp. And as they're walking in, they knock the lamp. And so this whole scene, there's a light that's swinging back and forth. And he he calls this technique knocking the lamp. And it basically just means you gave yourself way more work to prove that you could do it. Because now they have to animate Roger's shadow throughout all of that. man. (laughs) It is so much more complicated than it needed to be. (laughs) But it did need to be that to keep the you know noir aesthetic if we're going to be talking it, about plot and wills and nonsense like that you got to have that swinging light but it also just made him feel more real because you see the degrees of shading you see him interacting with the real world yeah i guess that's true that's um, a good point I, d- I definitely recommend that video yeah I'll, I'll put it up in the show notes um i yeah i so now they are hiding out in the speakeasy uh, I don't remember exactly what the plot is at this point. So, I think Eddie so, says Dolor- Dolores, check the prostate or prostrate or whatever. Probate. There it is. The probate. Yeah. See who is getting what. Like who's yeah, who, getting Acme Studios. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and uh, Eddie's hunch is that Maroon killed Acme for Toontown, which, you know, it makes sense because Maroon hired him to get the dirt on Jessica Rabbit, supplying him with the perfect patsy. Uh, and... He goes to like he goes back to his uh his apartment. Tells Roger, you know, stay here at the bar. I gotta, I gotta, you know, look at a few things. Uh, and Dolores, he, can he stay here? He's not gonna do anything too crazy, is he? Are you kidding me, Dolores? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're in love with the son of a clown. How do you not know this thing? <laughs> but back at uh, back at Eddie's apartment, uh, you know, he's you know oh my God, showering and whatever. 
And Jessica walks, Jessica Rabbit walks in on him while he's shirtless, you know, a little bit of eye candy for the lady. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most direct noir parody we get. Because it's supposed to be like this, you know, buff man's man who's, you know, hard cut and all that. And it's just Bob Hoskins. (laughs) (laughs) He's just Fred Flintstone. He really is. This is a a kind of dumpy, unattractive schlub. I I, kind of thought he worked it. I I know I'm way into it. I think that chest hair is really appealing on on this uh, on this kind of grouse. You yeah, know? this was this was like the barrel chested like strongman kind of look. Like he belonged in a circus. Yeah, I but, guess so. Um, yeah, with, 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 like triangle weights. <laughs> the dialogue worked great. Um, you know, Jessica's like, you don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way I do. And he says, Yeah, you don't know how hard it is to be a man looking at a woman looking the way you do. <laughs> yeah, that's. Mm. Some I don't good feel dialogue. good about I don't feel good about that line. It's, I love, it's sort of I putting the blame great. on her. Um, I I much better like the line that she says. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, oh. That, that's a pun, right? What do you mean? Like drawn? Oh yeah. Okay, but it's oh, it's so good, Zane. Is it like like a humor? Yeah, it's like, like somebody like a did, joke. Like someone made a funny. <laughs> oh, a somebody. Funny. Somebody told us. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it can be... And what I love about that line is it can be applied to tunes or gender discrimination in general. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And, and and they are setting her up as this femme fatale, duplicitous kind of, you know, we don't know where her loyalties lie. We don't know if she's out to get Roger for some yeah. reason. Yeah. We don't she know anything walks, about her. She walks into this scene for her own reasons on her own time and tells Eddie information that he wouldn't have found out otherwise <laughs> yeah what is her game we don't she's know like, and she's using she's maroon, using her physique to sell it she's like maroon set me up he told me i had to play patty cake um you know maroon didn't want toontown he's gonna sell it to cloverleaf like just all this stuff <laughs> she's such a mystery How and the fact that it plays it? it takes place during the noir seduction scene it brings all those gender conventions right to the fore Mm-hmm. god God, I and then, lo- his, and then his character. pants fall down because that's kind of that's kind of funny too. <laughs> it's so funny, like she's the noir person, and then he turns into the tune a little bit here. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, plot happens. There's a lot of excellent timing in the scene. I'm desperate. Can't you tell? And then his pants fall down, and like, and it and the camera is just showing her and Eddie in an embrace with him looking extremely dumpy. Mm-hmm. And uh. <laughs> You know, he 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 cops a feel with his uh, with his scalp there, and it makes maybe the best foley that's ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> the the boob sound effect of his head hitting her her chest with that like, dum, like that bong, <laughs> that hollow thump of a of a coconut is so great. <laughs> And then and then Dolores shows up with his pants down and them in an embrace because of course she shows up right there and, and she says the greatest line which is dabbling in watercolors Eddie <laughs> which we already know he was he, he he tended to be already just a pen and ink kind of guy with Betty Boop so you know yeah. it was good it's very progressive is that what it is is that the word we're going for <laughs> no and I'm not gonna. It, so that I don't have to bring colors into it, let's move on. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Roger's yep. entertaining the bar with his singing and dancing to the tune of uh, The Merry-Go-Round Broke Down. 
Yeah, it's awesome. And the entire bar, which has been this real sad sack noir kind of dumpy place beforehand, is really lively. They're cheering him on. He's making a, an absolute clown out of himself and loving doing it. He looks in his element for the first time. And it's mm-hmm. very satisfying. I like this guy. Yeah. And Eddie's like, he's not that interesting. What's like wrong him. with you? This is precisely the thing I told you not to do. <laughs> it's almost as though you didn't listen. <laughs> uh, there's a good register mixing moment where he's spinning somebody's actual hair piece or like his actual hair. Yeah. Like Oof. it spins in like a, you know, like a, like a, like a record. Um, yeah. It, I, you know, they take him into the back room to like chastise him and he, Roger's like, you don't, you don't understand. You don't understand how I work. You don't understand how life works. People can't get by just on this noir shit you've been peddling. Sometimes laughter is the only weapon you have. Mm-hmm. Laughter is very powerful in the right context, which is the only time he's serious uh, now or before or after. Also, but it's laughter a pretty is poignant like line. immediately. Yeah, after, and then laughter is immediately used against him because uh, Judge Doom shows up. And, uh, you know, nobody's given him any information, even when he puts a reward, but he knows a way to get any tune to, to come out. Yep. The old shaving a haircut gag. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such a weird bit of world building. But it's like, it's something so iconic and something that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And because of certain things that, and because of certain things that we don't know about Judge Doom, um, It does seem like his, it, like, it seems like this might be the only understanding that he might have of the tune world. Like, I know jokes, and then the shave and a haircut two bits thing is is his definition of a joke. You see, it's, uh, it sounds neat. <laughs> it's It's got a kind of rhythm to it. Do you understand? <laughs> I can explain if you need me to. <laughs> you know, I'll do this, and then you'll do that. Shows that we both, we're both in on it. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that like the, that's like the that's like darth vader from the from the annie thing <laughs> and that, that's how the humor's come that's where the humor comes from <laughs> yeah um but yeah and and it works i love the moment where bob hoskins and i got i gotta stop saying that i just love moments here but it's it's true bob hoskins and roger rabbit are both looking out at uh or bob hoskins is looking at it and it's like Nobody's going to fall for that. And we look over to Roger, who is apoplectic. With, like, <laughs> he's convulsing. He, there is a medical emergency in Roger Rabbit for not being able to respond to the two-bits gag. Yeah, like you said, it's it's just this necessity. It's this cultural need. Yeah, no tune can resist. <laughs> well, and he except perhaps for one. It, he explodes through the wall with the two-bits line and is immediately beset by... Uh, Doctor Doom um, holds them I know up that... over a barrel of dip that he just carries around. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty silly. Like Ugh, he's carrying it's real it heavy. He, it's in his car without a cover on it. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you like... don't need. Surely you don't need to fill it to the brim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you know, buckle it in, make sure it doesn't move, put a lid yeah. on that. Yeah, put a lid on it, 
Judge Doom. Dredd. <laughs> And uh, and yeah, he's he's like I'm gonna execute Roger because as my job title says, I'm the executioner. Yep, it's in my job title. Uh, and you know, this is the first point when uh, Bob Hoskins is kind of like, I can use this tune stuff to my advantage. Like I, I it, it, hanging out Twice. with Rogers has been rubbing off on me a little bit. I sort of get it now. Let's 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 turn the tables here with some some knowledge and some kind of inclusion into tune society that up to this point he has not been willing to do but he's like you know what judge every man deserves a drink before he's off let's give him one last drink and they do the delightful wabbit season duck season (laughs) gag i i I don't want to drink he's like oh i think you do (laughs) i I really don't no i think you do (laughs) no i really don't want to drink i said you're not gonna take this drink yes i will no you won't yes i will when i say i want a drink i want a drink and (laughs) it's a drink and he you know does his crazy tune blast off routine whenever he has alcohol and so he's able to escape Mm-hmm. And they get a ride from a sentient tune car. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, like like I, tune again, society. I would worry about it, except the car comes back later. <laughs> I know it's it's so weird. Uh, they end up cracks. they end up in a theater where Roger is, like they they end up in a theater where there's like a cartoon going on. Uh, Goofy and I love that Roger is praising Goofy as a master of his craft. Ben, it's this like, what Goofy a cartoon is literally the one I talked about in House of Mouse. Is it really? It's the same one, <laughs> huh? Because sometimes uh, but, they did clips from that from that era. But I, I, I love. Wait, wait, can you remind me what it was? It was Goofy like exercising and getting hurt. God, it, it's such, it's so good. It's not. <laughs> what do you mean? It's, it's great. It's passable because it's Goofy. That's what I'm saying. It's it's only because it's Goofy, and I think that's you know Roger Roger recognizes he recognizes art. Okay, Eddie Eddie, why aren't you laughing? It's so funny. You know, my got, brother died by chasing a tune. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing to laugh about these days. <laughs> it's like, he's so fun. I, I'm so glad that Bob Hoskins was Eddie. <laughs> um, yeah, and so Eddie tells Roger, who is so cute in how empathic he is, about, you know, the about uh, Eddie's brother's murder, and Roger's like, I can't blame you for hating me. Um... And that you know they sort of they sort of connect a little bit. It's like I don't hate you. I'm just I'm just a crotchety old bastard, essentially. <laughs> and uh, Eddie starts to put things together because uh, the theater has like a little news brief about Cloverleaf Industries. Yeah, Cloverleaf has. Uh, it you know, bought up the red car. It bought yep. up Acme. Yep, somebody's making a big play, and he's going to get to the bottom of it. Um, Dolores comes in. They start rekindling their romance. Nothing really happens. Uh, but you know, I, I do it's like, not, it's not that Dolores or her actress is bad. It's just, there's a lot that, to overshadow her. It, the, the problem is that she's purely in a noir setting, whereas Eddie is kind of between two worlds on it, or at least like from one going to the other, but Dolores never kind of, never kind of sprinkles that in. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's not something that this movie really traffics in. It travels in the mixture, the admixture of tune and noir but not really one or the other mm-hmm. um i do like that roger is getting really emotional at their lovey-dovey stuff because he's a romantic you know he's yeah, he's of course crazy in love with his wife so he's getting bizarrely humanized by the interaction but not much to it other than that um, um but yeah eddie eddie has a has a hunch he goes and confronts maroon 
Uh, we get another classic noir scene with some very nice dialogue. Mm-hmm. Did, did you write it down? Because <laughs> I absolutely uh, did. No, I didn't. Oh, man. Yeah, so he comes in. He's uh, Maroon is like, you got the will? And Eddie's like, yeah. Yeah, I got the will. Question is, do you got the way? <laughs> the will isn't going to come cheap. Like... Okay. <laughs> way, way, way to go all in on a 2-7. Because he doesn't have the will. He's just got this stupid love letter that, uh, you know, Roger that wrote. Broke. That, that numbnuts wrote. Um, so he overpowers Maroon. Yep. Puts his tie in a machine. Recording. Of, in like a sewing machine or something like that. Or in a printer. Or, I don't yeah. know. He's he's threatening and, him. He's strong And Maroon him. explains, yeah, you know... Um, I was going to sell the studio to Cloverleaf, but uh, they wouldn't buy it unless Acme also sold. So he tried to force them by do- setting up the thing with Jessica. And just as he's about to kind of give him the dirt on the guy behind it all, he gets shot. With a gun. Like an with actual... A, with re- a real gun. Like an actual gun that shoots him several times in the back. They didn't They didn't drop a safe on him. Right. That's... Uh, that's so great. Because at this point, we're expecting something zany to happen, and then suddenly it's yeah. not gonna. And Eddie goes to the window, and there's Jessica Rabbit running away. It's like, oh, that's not good. And, and we don't think of her as a tune. We think of her as, you know, that double-crossing dame. Yeah, this sex motif. Pretty, pretty much this, uh, this, this mud flap. This upright <laughs> mud flap walking around on her hind legs. Upstart mud flap. <laughs> upstart mud flap. Upstart dolled up mud flaps. <laughs> Upstart Mudflap does sound like a Yosemite Sam character. <laughs> Yosemite Sam showed up early in the movie. Yeah, his bow is on fire. Well, he gave my biscuits Eddie are burning. A, he gave Eddie a gift of a cartoon gun and some cartoon bullets. It, <laughs> yeah, it says thanks for getting me out of the hooskow. It's so stupid. Um, <laughs> but Eddie Eddie has to follow Jessica into Toontown. Yep, and, and as you said, this has just been one long running day. Um, it, I'm starting to really feel it. Like all the scenes are starting to run together quite a bit here. And mm-hmm. to be honest, the pacing of this movie from here on out doesn't really do it for me. Yeah. And, and by the way, Roger got uh, knocked on the head and shoved into the trunk of a car. He did. So maybe it's because he's not really in these scenes until the very end. Yeah, could be. Like it's um, just Bob Hoskins going through anime. He's going bit. through. He's going through Looney Tunes withdrawal. Well, Toontown's a, Toontown is very bizarre as a location. I do think that there was. It was good that they introduced Toontown in one scene. I just the mm. rest of it feels pretty melange. Yeah, because you could have, you know, you could have the world on its own with just the tunes coming into to L.A. occasionally. But seeing this place is a whole other thing. Like, the whole world invites him in with a song and dance, and he well, is not happy about it. Well, I, I love this, because he's been... So, the rest of the movie, we've been in a noir setting, and Roger Rabbit has been the, the odd man out in it, and that's where all the comedy kind of came from, mm-hmm. and how, how, how Bob Hoskins would kind of react to that. And now we just cut out the middleman. <laughs> <laughs> let's just have the setting be the tunes and have just Bob Hoskins react to that. Yeah. Like, it's actually the same, it's the same joke, but it's they're, they're, it's a, just a different variance of the same joke. It, it's the same joke, and I can see why they wanted to have the Toontown scene. I don't oh, yeah. think it added anything. We, no, we, I, I think we, we've set up this 
society as there being stratified layers, one for Toons, one for... It would feel weird if we never encountered Toontown. That's true. It just doesn't really... Like, it doesn't add anything to the plot because, you know, he's he's going in chasing after Jessica. It's not even Jessica. Well, like, the whole Jessica thing's just a red herring. The Je- Jessica does show up. I mean, and, and we're kind of glossing over some like looney tunes-esque humor um rest assured yeah. bob hoskins oh. has his ass handed to him in the worst way it's a good thing everything's animated or they'd spend a fortune on googly eyes <laughs> i guess that's true he gets to meet droopy who's an elevator operator you know Perfect. while he's in toontowns uh eddie has tune physics yeah it's, it's like space jam pretty much it's exactly like space, you space, know, space jam, jam was a pioneer in so many ways i guess it's the other main reference that we can point to for the two intermingling like this osmosis jones and space jam and so i think it's just space jam and this are the ones where they're directly they're directly uh in the same in the same world mm-hmm. looney guess. tunes back in action also to a degree oh yeah I, i've never like, seen it it's somewhere in between space jam and this on the wackiness scale okay like like it's funny, but it's also kind of not trying to be serious at all. Mm, okay. I, I, anyway. I, it sounds like a difficult thing to articulate, so maybe I'll just have to check it out. Um, but R- yeah, rest so- assured, we see a bunch of cameos, and Bob Hoskins <laughs> gets a tune hurt in a bunch of ways until he finally sees Jessica down an alleyway or something. And, uh, and she shoots somebody behind him. Yeah, I, I think um, we, we glossed over this a little bit. Uh, Eddie had this very small kind of defining moment where he was going to go chase Jessica and he loads up with the pistol that Yosemite Sam got him, um, who are a bunch of cartoon bullets and also is about to take a swig from his flask and then pours it out. Mm -hmm. And I think that signifies a thing. And I don't know what that thing is. Oh, he's putting, he's putting his past behind him. Oh yeah. You got to put your behind in your past. So, Um, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Jessica Rabbit, uh, yeah, so so he he encounters her. She shoots somebody behind him. She says, that's the Which gun is, that killed... It's that just killed an Maroon. animate shadow. It's his and own animate shadow that's behind him. <laughs> it's so stupid. Well, she says, Doom pulled the trigger. Judge Doom is not, is not just, you know, this evil overseer. He's out there doing some dirty work. He's actually the gunman, yeah. And they run after him, but the car, you know, gets busted by some dip. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, they have that animated car, <laughs> and we don't know where yeah. Roger is. And I don't know; the plot feels like pretty, yeah, pretty, like pretty nonsense past, by this point. The, like, there's this like five to ten minutes where you can just say, "Blah blah blah." Cut to the warehouse. It 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 pretty much is that. Um, this is definitely the weakest part of the movie, and I'll be honest; I didn't particularly like the ending either, excepting one fantastic scene. It dragged a little, but um, yeah, I think so. Uh, they get they give chase and they find Roger, um, who escaped from the trunk that he was stuffed into. Um, when you know, as they're chasing to find him, uh, we get that line of "What do you see in that guy anyway?" And Jessica responds, "He makes me laugh," as though that explains everything. And again, laughter is huge in this society. It it mm-hmm. is your it is your wealth. It is you know it is your livelihood. You don't. And in a broader sense, like, you can't imagine a tune as a cop or a politician. The only way they have to articulate in a society, the only value they have is through laughter. Except mm-hmm. for extremely rare cases such as Jessica. So, 
you know, the idea of laughter being the only weapon they have, we're kind of con- continuing to see little snippets of that actually being true. And it pays yeah, off he in knows. a pretty huge way. It's all he knows. And it's all, well, more than that, it's all tunes can really leverage, mm-hmm. you know? But b- before that payoff, um, Judge Doom is ex- he's expositing his master plan to uh, to Eddie and Jessica, and he says, that <laughs> "Oh man, he is Cloverleaf. He's got a giant tractor that spews dip, and he's going to destroy Toontown to implement a freeway allowing people to drive through L.A. quickly." Just cut into the villainous dialogue here. He's trying to make it sound like a good plan, but it's just criminally insane and also stupid. Who's got time to wonder what happened to some ridiculous talking mice when you're driving by at 75 miles an hour? What are you talking about? There's no road past Toontown. Not yet. Several months ago, I had the good providence to stumble upon the plan of the city councils. A construction plan of epic proportions. We are calling it a freeway. Freeway? What the hell's a freeway? Eight lanes of shimmering cement running from here to Pasadena. Smooth, safe, fast. Traffic jams will be a thing of the past. So that's why you killed that new maroon? For this freeway? I don't get it. Of course not. You lack vision. I see a place where people get on and off the freeway. On and off, off and on, all day, all night. Where Toontown once stood will be a stream of gas stations, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons, automobile dealerships, and wonderful, wonderful billboards reaching as far as the eye can see. My God, it'll be beautiful. It, it, it's all of the context of a genius mastermind plan with none of the content i'm going to dismantle public transit and force everyone to drive quote unquote solving traffic <laughs> i'm gonna solve traffic you guys <laughs> that, apparently that was a, my master murder plot well i mean a lot of these noir plot lines would you know culminate in a fairly simple nefarious scheme like they might have twists at the end but the actual evil plan is not that complicated we're gonna make money we're gonna do it like him up so i could bust him so that i could become the mayor sure i I mean like like, yeah this guy just loves freeways (laughs) he's extremely passionate about efficient transportation (laughs) so hard for freeways it's it's just like Again, it like I keep saying it, it's that one-two punch. We're expecting something megalomaniacal because that's how it's been built up, and then it's so mundane. It's stupid. Yeah. I love it, but it's stupid. It it has to be. Like it can't be as cool as we want it, as we expect it to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh and then Roger shows up with a gun to solve problems. Yeah, and then he immediately is captured. Yeah. They drop of course a ton he of bricks is. He, on him. No, he's not an action hero, he's a tune. He and Jessica get tied up on a hook, and for the next 10 minutes, they're just, like, on a hook, getting shot at occasionally with a dip gun. It, <laughs> it lasts like, so long. It, they're, they're trying to raise and lower the dramatic tension, and it's just, they don't need to. Like, everything with the weasels is largely unnecessary. Excepting one scene. Oh, uh, you want to? <laughs> I absolutely do. So, you know, Doom and his weasel patrol have them on the ropes. Uh, Bob is entire, or uh, yeah, Bob Hoskins. I keep on wanting to just call him Bob Arctor. Uh, <laughs> Not every Bob is Bob Arctor. You it, have a problem. You know that it is. 
but yeah, so Jessica and Roger are tied up. They look pretty cute together, I gotta say. Like, we haven't seen them together until now, and I'm pretty into it. And uh, Eddie Valiant, you know, he's the detective at the end of the movie. He's like, what are you gonna do with me? And, uh, you know, it, Judge doesn't really care what, just don't get in his way. And then yeah, he saunters off. We only care off. about the tunes. We only care about the tunes. He's just a, a homicidal racist. Like, <laughs> and, he, and he leaves them to the weasels to take care of things. Now, throughout the movie, everyone keeps telling the weasels ah you laugh so hard you're gonna you're gonna laugh yourselves dead yeah and and he says that here and (laughs) a light switch like a light should have just like a lamp like a bulb should have just appeared over his head it wouldn't have been out of place it would it would have worked because they're in the acme warehouse or not acme warehouse but like you know all of the tune gadgets are around which means he has a ton of props in order to sing the same song that, or like a variant of the same song that Roger was singing earlier. The merry-go-round broke down, yeah. To the, the same classic, like, tune. sound. And they, this is why Bob Hoskins is the best actor for this role. He could not look less excited to do this scene. <laughs> now Roger is his name. Laughter is his cane. Come on, you dope, I'm tired, bro, but watch him go insane. <laughs> He's lost his mind. I don't think so. <laughs> this singing ain't my line. It's tough to make a rhyme. If I get stuck, I'm, I'm out of luck. I'm, uh, I'm running out of time. <laughs> he looks so upset that he has to do this dumb juvenile, like, pranksmanship, trying to, like, do this dumb slapstick routine where he's hurting himself, and he's slipping on banana peels, hitting himself with bowling balls, all in an effort to get the weasels to laugh themselves to death. And he does this, like, tumbling and acrobatics, and then you think back, like, oh yeah, he was in the circus. Oh, <laughs> Why I is per- that... <laughs> I, I didn't even recognize that that yeah, was... Yeah, that was P.T. Barnum. Of course he can do this. And, like... It's in his blood. If if Bob Hoskins can actually do a backflip, I'd be very impressed, but I don't, I don't think that was him. <laughs> no, no, it couldn't have been. And, you, you know, it, it ties into the greater theme. You know, do does he need laughter in his life? Yes, personally, but also we are seeing a practical side to it. The whole thing about the tune's power is their ability to make people laugh. Well, he's in a tune situation. He needs a tune answer. So he makes them laugh themselves to death by doing the dumbest routine and looking so upset about it the whole time. <laughs> and and there's some uncomfortable metaphysics arranged here because people have said the only way to kill a tune is with dip. And we see these weasels like they die and like, <laughs> their spirit cartoon ghost weasels <laughs> with rise off of them. <laughs> like oh, going one, up to heaven. One of them like he dies and the ghost comes off of him and he like is scrambling to try and shove it back in his chest. <laughs> It's, it's really like something. It's kind of dark. It's really something. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of them that dies, like, falls on the start engine for the dip machine, and so it just starts back and forthing to hit uh, Roger and Jessica. Yeah. I, like, oh, but Eddie can't stop it because Judge Doom is back. <laughs> yep, he's like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have sauntered away so quickly, and uh, Judge Doom I had, gets... I had very important business over there. Yeah, I. it's pretty much a Dr. Evil moment. It's like, no, I just assumed that it would all go to plan. What? Uh, and, and they uh, have, they, uh, they have they, a gimmick fight. They, they have a, that a gimmick fight is exactly what they have. 
It's two real people using tune implements to hurt each other. Uh, yeah, we got we got giant magnet, we got punch glove, we got portable hole. I'm bunch especially of glue. I'm 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 a pretty big fan of the of the of the extendo punch. Um, and somehow and, it culminates uh, in Judge Doom getting run over by a steamroller. Amazing. It it would be a gruesome death, except it turns out he's actually a tune, and he picks up his flattened self, uses a helium tank to reinflate himself. It pops out his fake eyes, and he's like. This is the same tune that killed Eddie's brother, and his voice is high because of the helium. Like, they had laid clues saying, like, I, I remember his eyes, I remember his voice. Yeah. And you were like, like, I wasn't expecting this. Apparently, when Christopher Lloyd read the script for the first time and it said, like, never blink, he's like, ah, he's a tune. Yeah, of course that would but be. Marty, he's a tune. <laughs> Marty, you gotta be thinking in the tune dimension. <laughs> How do you how do you feel about this uh, this twist like this bait and switch? It's this is the noir thing. You just put a bunch of twists right at the end, like you know, chubby if, checkers. If Judge Doom was a more serious character, I might have a problem with it. But it is no less stupid than all of the other things he's done. I, I honestly, I was just sick of this scene. I just was tired of it. I feel yeah. like it went on too long, and the whole payoff of him being able to kill a tune. Look, look the. The, the whole plot was kicked off. The The whole story of Eddie Valiant is a tune killed his brother, right? Sure. And throughout the course of the movie, he's be like, eh, you know what? Tunes aren't so bad. My loyalties are kind of graying a little bit. Maybe I'm not on the side of the humans. Maybe I'm on the side of the tunes. And it so undercuts that growth by not having him kill a human Vi- uh, villain at the end and, and it's hard because this scene has to do so much it has to wrap up the plot it has to wrap up roger and jessica's arc it has to wrap up not only eddie's arc as a detective but his philosophy around laughter and coming to terms with his brother's death and like it has to take this long but it really shouldn't i just got tired of it like uh and and i don't like have think- an epiphany like have an epiphany shortly before this scene like 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 he did with the alcohol but that was such a minor one and it was too far you know too far behind too far back have an epiphany solving one or two of these before the big fight and then during the showdown you can have a couple more i uh yeah i, I just i i just don't think that he I don't, I'm not into him being a tune. I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know if you felt a different way about it. I just, I feel like it didn't accomplish anything other than to give us a climactic tune fight at the end. But we kind of already had a gimmick fight. It, it made sense to me. Yeah. It, uh, uh, maybe I, I thought that it fit. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I just was a little too married to the idea of him kind of crossing that, uh, that picket line over to Toondom. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think your other gripes are very legitimate, though. <laughs> I, I pride myself on legitimate gripes. That's a household name. <laughs> Get their legitimate, gripes, legitimate here. gripes. Five for a nickel, two for a penny. It's a terrible deal. <laughs> they don't sell well. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Times are real tough down at the North <laughs> store. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we're selling grapes uh for for as many as you can carry for a dollar down at the norb store it's uh you know it's, it's bargain 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 bottom prices going out of sale going bargain. out of town sales we're selling sales for 40 cents to the dollar bet your bottom dollar that you will like these sales or these grapes down at the norb store patent pending Whew. 
So the, yeah, like the, I the ending really was like that. Me out, Zane. <laughs> no, the ending was like that. It just kind of kept going. It, it actually, yeah, weirdly enough. And there's no way for me to bail you out. Yep. So uh, it eventually he, ends. He, he kills he kills uh, Doom with the dip. He saves Jessica and Roger from the dip. Again, they all keep saying <laughs> dip, and it does sound that stupid. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 sort of unraveling at the edges here, but. Uh, it's, they, it's like how when you're discussing fracking with somebody, and like there's only so long you can say the word fracking without it sounding hilarious. Yeah, it, it, you you get tame. It, it becomes weirdly tame after a while. Like they uh, get fracked. Right. This is why. This was why uh, Battlestar Galactica didn't work for the third and fourth seasons. Is because uh, you know people just <laughs> fracking didn't didn't work as well as before. And people got used to it. Also, you know the plot was garbage. But you know it, I, besides, I besides like, all that. I do like the way that the machine uh, is destroyed, which is, you know, it, it it looks like it's gonna, you know, it breaks through the wall and it's gonna go hit Toontown and, you know, spray and dissolve all of Toontown, and then it just gets hit by a train. Oh, that's true. Public transport wins again. And, uh, you know, for all my, for all my uh, you know, bargain bin gripes at the end of this movie, I think that this, this wrap-up is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. At this point, um, everybody's saved. All the tunes come to greet him. Dolores is there. You know, it's kind of a big, happy family. But wait, you know, this isn't going to last. We're still going to get sold off because we don't have the uh, the deed to Toontown. You know, it, it's oh, not yes, going to be do. Our, not gonna be our town. Yeah, and then uh, go ahead. A- Acme wrote his will in disappearing slash reappearing ink on the same letter that Roger wrote his love note on, so they had Still it the whole best time. Seller. Yeah, so it, it was on the love letter itself, which I think is actually kind of a nice little full circle thing. The love letter is kind of the start of this whole plot, and it happens to be the solution to the whole plot. It feels feels complete, and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I like this ending. The, the tunes sing again. They walk off into the distance, and uh, Porky says, that's all, folks. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's Oh, and uh, uh, we get a nice little interspecies romance, like a little cartoon cast brand interspecies romance moment. A little uh, peck on the face. Little, little, <laughs> little peck on the face. You know. Roger and uh, Eddie have a little uh, smoocheroo yeah, in the well, very Bugs Bunny sense. Yeah, pretty pretty big exhibitionists, these two. <laughs> yeah, just to, just to really show you that it wasn't just the heat of the moment. Eddie has come out as a tunisexual. No, he he has come out as you know accepting that there is laughter in his life. He's being kind of silly, um, and then the and then the movie's over. Yeah, and that is a uh, Toontown, or that is a uh, framed Roger Rabbit. Who framed Bob Hoskins. <laughs> Bob, Co- my God, what a <laughs> really carried a lot of this. I, I honestly like. He was so fundamental to my liking this movie. Like, everybody else did fine performances. I, I really enjoyed Jessica Rabbit and Roger Rabbit. Um, you know, Christopher Christopher Lloyd isn't going to do a bad job, but, man, that portrayal mm-hmm. of the no-nonsense, I'm-sick-of-this-shit, you know, down-on-my-luck detective is really what did it for me in the end. The the You know, this movie is remembered for the animation, largely, uh, for, for making this gimmick work and work so well, but I think on top of it all is this really great... 
you know, these really great characters, this great interactions, the the plot is good. Um, I agree with you. There's some blemishes, especially toward the soggy end. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I still, I think this is rightfully a classic. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's like a French, it, it, appropriately enough, it's a French dip sandwich, right? Really good at the beginning, but there's just too much au jus on the end, on the corner of that bread. <laughs> and then there's, you know, French stuff at the end because they made out. It's really, really perfect. It's a really good analogy, Ben. <laughs> I mean, it was several puns within a kind of okay analogy, but I'll, I'll take, I'll take your praise, <laughs> however you're willing to give it, Zane. Oh, I'm, I'm tired. Like talking about comedy and all the little comedy niches just drains the comedic energy right out of you like like we can describe a joke that was done well and a joke that was done poorly but trying to riff on a joke (laughs) yeah i I feel like i was less spontaneous because they kind of already did all the spontaneity um they made the joke already we can't we can't really do much more than that yeah i all all there is is you know rabid dissection of, of of what made the joke funny and that it doesn't really translate well. I hope this episode is listenable. <laughs> I recognize maybe it's not. In either case, let's talk about our final impressions. Yeah. I A lot of movies, when, when you say now, you know, live action slash animation, most of them are just like these one-off gimmicky, you know, trying to make a fast buck by using both kinds of cameos, <laughs> you know? Um Yogi Bear, Space Jam, you know, mm-hmm. these Osmosis Jones, you, you know what you're getting. Yeah. I feel like this is, this is this one is of the only more. examples of this where it, it actually, like, it works as a movie, as a legitimate movie. Like you said, you can analyze it in your film noir class. It, it, stand on, it stands on its own beyond. I think it was entered into the Library of Congress, you know, <laughs> as a you know, legitimate cultural work or whatever. Was it actually? they grade those on a curve. <laughs> Was it actually? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, it, it stands on its own as a movie without just being this... Uh, it, it's not just a kind of a, a curiosity. Right, yeah. It's not just... Uh, it has merit in and of itself. It has a lot of merit. It, it, you can see all the work that went into it. And, and I think that that merit... You know, that, that brilliant parody works so well because it's right alongside, you know, Toontown nonsense. Not because not because of the animation, but, like, because that contrast is so... Um, that, so that contrast is so effective, and there's so many ways to riff off of it. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. Mm-hmm. And I think, like... Like, it could have been made better for us if they had cut out some stuff toward the end and, and you know, explained a few things in the middle. Uh, but it, I, I don't know if it would have necessarily been a better movie. Like, uh, I'm sure a lot of people love the Toontown sequence. I enjoyed it. I just didn't think it necessarily added a lot. It's something I'm used to. Uh, well, maybe not used to, but, like, it's so much better when I'm watching... I, I don't know. I liked... Hmm. It's tricky. Because I appreciate that they flip the script halfway through the movie. Like, that feels very appropriate for a movie that's just trying to pull out the rug from under me. But uh, I, I think that it's more effective when we have a backdrop of noir with a little bit of zaniness in it than a backdrop of zany with a little noir in it. 
Because mm-hmm. the noir if, if really, the, it gets shouted down. Yeah, if the punchline is subversion, the, the setup can't also be a subversive thing. And, and also just noir is quiet and tunes are loud, so it, it's... A little bit goes a long way, and then a a lot of bit goes a really, really long way. (laughs) So I I think it just, the ratio doesn't make quite as much sense there. Mm -hmm. I liked it overall, though. Like, Yeah, highly recommended. Enjoyed it pretty much front to back, while accepting those weaknesses. Not an A-plus film, but definitely an A. And also a extremely unique film. Like, this is... And this this rightly deserves a spot on, you know, in in the in the history of the medium. Yeah. If if we were doing a uh, podcast on the most important animated film of a given year, this you know, is it. going year by year. This this is the one for eighty eight. Yeah, absolutely. Although hot to trot, I don't know if there's much animation <laughs> in it. It does apparently have BoJack Horseman at the height of his power. <laughs> so we might have to look in on that. Bobcat Goldthwait, is he a bobcat all along? Who can say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hey, aren't you the bobcat that used to play the the Goldthwait on? on Are uh, you the guy who played that crazy mouse on the show about very crazy mice? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? Uh he was a uh, uh what's his face from uh Capital Critters. Oh, no, he wasn't. Oh, yeah. The guy who kept exploding. Yeah. Not Jammit. I'm not talking about Jammit. I know. That's Charlie Adler, and I love I love Jammit. You know I do. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't Next know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like, I guess... I guess we're done here. Uh, <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Uh, what's up next, Zane? What's up, Doc? What's up, Doc, Zane? What's up, Doc Brown? <laughs> Why didn't they say, what's up, Doc Brown? <laughs> Missed because opportunity. he wasn't Doc Brown in this movie. You, yes, he was. Well, Ben. Marty! Uh, next up, we're, we're going to watch um, Fighting Foodons, the anime about food that fights. I expect to hate it. But it's you know, it's real weird. Like, what if we had Monster Rancher and then took out Swayzo? What's left? What's left? What's left when you take out a Swayzo? It, it's sad. It's like an elephant graveyard. <laughs> it destroys a man. <laughs> it does when, things to a man. When Eddie when Eddie lost his brother Swayzo, <laughs> Swayzo, <laughs> you know he he was done for. <laughs> he was done for. Yep. Moo killed my brother. <laughs> Uh, and how about after that? Well, Zane, I think it's time that we go back to Disney, uh, the Disney oh. Channel, and uh, I wanted to pick something that I've kind of talked about on the edges for a while. I said that when I didn't know what I wanted to do, and you know, we we've been doing a lot of really notable stuff, that I'd pick this uh, this show and see what it's about. So we're gonna watch American Dragon, Jake Long. Oh, <laughs> what a I, long dragon you've got there, Jake. I expect to hate it because it looks real stupid, but maybe it's actually fine. It, it really does because, like, I don't like, I generally don't like shows where it's just the guy's name if he's not an interest, like, if it's not a superhero name, it's just a guy's name. doesn't really work for Zane, me. Let, let's leave dragon, we, listen, we gotta, we have American a- American dragon? I don't know. Zane, Zane, we have to pound a bowl full of Pokemon before we get there, so- <laughs> drink up Ugh. yeah that's right what flavor is this mountain goon 
Anyway, uh, you know, cave trolls are mountain goons. Just putting it out there. Can you take it back, please? I didn't really want it. <laughs> I I can't read it in. I need <laughs> a lasso. I got I got to fly. The uh, okay. Sorry, guys. I'm a little tired right now. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> thanks for listening, in, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our dissection of a beloved uh, movie, and I hope you watch it yourselves because it's great. Um, you can go ahead and find us if you have anything to say about our upcoming episodes, Fighting Budons or American Dragon Jake Long. Go ahead and find us on our Facebook page. You can go to our website, cartoncast.com. Go to our group website, fancybat.com, to look at some other podcasts that are in our network. Um, if you can go to iTunes, uh, if you can go to iTunes and leave a rating or review, um, that would really help us out. We always want to hear what you have to say. And uh, more than anything else, please tell your friends about the show. Uh, we also had some recent podcast appearances on other podcasts. Yeah. So we were both on uh, Sylph Radio Podcast. Our friend uh, Nathan uh, from from uh, Secret Room Multimedia had us on to talk about the Pokemon trading card game video game. If you thought I was uh, up my own ass for other episodes of Carton Cast, wait until you see me go on somebody <laughs> else's podcast and try to suffocate And uh, I was recently on uh, Nick's uh, uh, What's With You Scooby-Doo podcast talking about some haunted house nonsense. I haven't actually listened to that yet. I should... Oh, get on it. It's real good. <laughs> All right. I can't wait. Uh, yeah. Zane, how do we how do we end this? Zane, you know what you should do? Is like a brief little sing song version of what uh Bob Hoskins does at the end. It's like, <laughs> well, Zane, it is my name. And <laughs> laughter is not the same. Uh <laughs> well. Hey, my name is Zane. I'm a rapping man, and I'm here to say <laughs> my name is Zane. Every way. Well, brother Ben's his name. He's friends with brother Zane. They took a trip into that dip and never were the same.